This morning with me, please, in Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning reading at verse number 6, if I may. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful, faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. For a few moments, I want to talk about our wealth in Jesus. I read of a cartoon some time ago of a family that was in a lawyer's office. Uh, their loved one had recently died and they were probating the will. And the man that died was a very wealthy man. Uh, he had a lot of land, stocks, and bonds, and money. And his family came in to have the will read before them. And they just knew uh, they walked in somewhat poor, but they were going to walk out wealthy. And the lawyer opened up the will and he read that an avaricious group of relatives and said, I, John Jones, being of sound mind and body, spent it all. <laughs> what a blow that was to those people. They went in thinking they were going to be rich, and they came out as poor as they walked in. I'm sure that we all have seen the bumper sticker on the back of a Lexus or a Mercedes Benz or whatever it says, I'm spending my children's inheritance. Well, we chuckle at those things, but when Jesus Christ died, and when he left to us his last will and testament that's here before us, I remind you he made it possible for you and to me to share in the spiritual wealth that he left for every one of us today. I'd also remind you that too many times we look to riches in the form of land and houses and stocks and bonds uh, in some type of a savings account, if you will. But Paul tells us about Jesus Christ, uh, what he left for us when he said, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Jesus Christ has invested in us both for time and for eternity. This is not referring to monetary goods. It's not referring to real estate. It's not referring to a bank account. But thank the Lord, it's referring to plenty of riches that Jesus Christ has left for we, his church today. Instead of spending everything, as the fictitious guy did in the cartoon we mentioned a moment ago, thank God Jesus paid it all. He didn't spend it all. He paid it all for you and for me today. Jesus Christ made it possible that you and I uh, might be born again. His death on the cross, his powerful resurrection from the dead made our salvation uh, possible. I remind you, he wrote for us his last will, and he given us a testament. It's called the New Testament. Uh, so when Jesus Christ wrote the testament, but yet he had to die in order that we might be recipients of his will and testament. But beyond that, he didn't just die. He rose from the grave. He is Ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, and there he is our advocate, or shall I say, he is our lawyer to make sure that everything he died for and everything written in his will and testament, you and I are able to enjoy and you and I are able to claim for ourselves. Did you get that? Jesus put each of us in his will. And in order for you and I to receive his will and to live from that will, he had to die. And he did die. And he rose from the grave. He went back to heaven. And he is our eternal lawyer. 
who is looking over his will to make sure everything, every dot is crossed and every T is crossed and every I is dotted to make sure that what we have in him, we have. Now your skin's not ripping. I don't know if that will start off the top of your head or not, but if you and I can get hold of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus the Lord, we won't be walking around like we're nobodies. We can walk around like we know we are somebody because of what he has done for us. Thank God this morning he ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. And part of that is to make sure his will is done. Have you ever had a will that was contested? A loved one left you a house, a loved one left you some money, a loved one left you something of value, and it was yours, the lawyer said it's yours, but here comes somebody said, I contest that will. I believe Uncle Henry was drunk when he wrote that will. I don't think it was his signature. I contest that, and I'm going to court and fight. I don't care what kind of court you go to, as long as you've got a will that has been settled, there's nobody can take it away from you. And the devil comes more times than not and says, you can't be healed, you can't be saved, you can't be delivered, you can't have what God said, you can't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you can't have joy. Let me tell you something. You've got a testament here, and Jesus Christ is living to make sure that is fulfilled to the every iota in your life today. It is a family right, a legal right, and a blood-bought right that you have every promise that Jesus Christ said is rightfully yours and mine. Now, Lord willing, I want to spend at least three Sundays talking about, if I may, some of the things God has given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, I want to look at the blessings that come from God the Father. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I want to talk about the blessings that come from God the Son. And then later I want to talk about the blessings that come from God the Holy Spirit. But this morning look at the blessings from God the Father. Verse 4, He has chosen us. <clears throat> According He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. This relates to the doctrine of election. A doctrine that's confused many people down through the course of time. There have been churches that formed over the doctrine of election. There have been churches that have split over the doctrine of election. There have been people that have written books on the doctrine of election. Classes have been taught on the doctrine of election. And seminars have been given on the doctrine of election to try to persuade people one way or the other concerning this doctrine. One seminary professor said one time to a student, he said, try to explain election uh, and you may lose your mind. Try to deny election and you may lose your soul. And there is some truth to that. Here it is in a nutshell. Salvation always begins with God. I don't think anybody can justifiably refute that statement. Uh, uh, salvation always begins with God. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you and ordained you. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it was not God, or it was not Adam and Eve who went looking for God. It was, Adam, it was God who came looking for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve ran and hid because of their guilt and their shame and their fear and their condemnation. Of all the religions of the world, Christianity is the only one where God comes seeking after us. Other places they got to do all types of libation and penance and cut themselves and do this and the other. But Aaron God said, I loved you so much. I come seeking for you. And 
for many of us, he found you on bar stools. He found you in X-rated movie houses. He found you in crack houses. He found you belly up to a bar somewhere. But our God is tough. And thank God the Holy Ghost will go where no man has ever gone before to rescue and to reach you right wherever you are at. Our God comes searching after us. He's a seeking God. And he seeks after us. Every lost sinner left to his own tries to find some way uh, to deal uh, with the, the pain and the sorrow and the guilt and the shame of his own life. There are many people trying to drink away their shame. There are some trying to smoke away their guilt. Uh, there's others that are doing all kinds of things to bring penance to their own life to make themselves feel good. But it's our God who takes the initiative in coming after every one of us. The Apostle Paul said it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. It is God's love for fallen humanity that seeks the sinner. For Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Notice when he chose us. Before creation. Before the world was created, God Almighty chose us in Christ Jesus the Lord. This further points that salvation is all of God's love, all of God's mercy, and all of God's grace, and nothing of our own merit. He, he chose us in Christ, not we in ourselves. And he chose us for a purpose, to be holy and to be without blame. Mm. Here are two areas in which a person can be blameless. Number one, he can be blameless in his practice based upon the efforts to do right. And further, a believer can be blameless positionally, but this is completely based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and upon his righteousness. The second area of blameless, subject I want to talk about this morning, also in the case of Colossians 1.22, where Paul said, He has now reconciled by the death of his physical body, so that he may present you holy, blameless, and without fault before him. In the context, Paul is saying the only way that we can be blameless is if we have been reconciled to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul said it this way, you who were once alienated a hostile attitude doing evil. This means that as now that we are in Christ Jesus, as believers we bear no guilty responsibility for the sins we have committed. Did y'all hear that? We should bear no guilt and no shame for the sins that we have committed, for who the Son has set free still walks around in fear and pain and misery and shame and condemnation. Show me that in this testament. Too many people are in a prison house of fear and a prison house of condemnation and a prison house of shame because the devil beats you down here saying, you're nothing and you're nobody. And the whole time God Almighty said, I chose you. And when he chose us, he knew every habit, he knew every problem, he knew every sin, he knew every stronghold, he knew everything about us. And he said, I see your predicament, I see your sin, I see what you're bound in, but you're no big deal for me because the blood that my son will shed will set you free. And he who set free is free indeed, glory to God. So why do we live in shame and fear and condemnation and torment from a devil that's been defeated when we serve a God that's alive? Hallelujah! Can you praise him this morning? You've been chosen in Christ Jesus the Lord. Hmm. 
you were once alienated with a hostile attitude doing evil. This means he set us free. Mom, I know you're watching this, but anyway, when I was a kid growing up and do something wrong, shamey, shamey, shamey. <laughs> and your parents ever do that to you? How did it work? Made you feel just more and more guilty, that much more condemnation, didn't it? They meant well. Shamey, shamey, shamey. <laughs> well, you sin, you do something wrong, and then the same devil that attempts you to do it, now going shamey, 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 shamey. And oh God, what am I going to do? So we got to pray harder and we got to read the Bible longer and, and we got to fast more and, and we got to fast and pray and we got to pray fast and all that junk. We're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It don't work. There's nothing a man can do to justify himself before God except trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for. We've been chosen in Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul said, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he favored us in the beloved. Now, in the Bible, election is always unto something. Election is always unto something. It is a privilege and a phenomenal responsibility this morning to know that we have been chosen of God. Even though God has chosen us in Christ for the foundation of the world, a sinner can turn down the love and the mercy and the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ. He has given us a free will. And with that free will, we can say yes to Jesus. And with that free will, we can say no to Jesus. With that free will, we can embrace the teaching of Jesus. Or with that free will, we can push the teaching of Jesus away. It's entirely up to us. Now, when you get down to divine sovereignty and human responsibility, it's a truth that's in the Word of God. But you study that, and you'll be as confused as a termite and yo-yo because you don't know. It's hard to understand. But divine sovereignty and human responsibility is always there. It's the truth that you see in the Word of God. The sinner responds to God because it's God's grace that gives us the ability to respond to Him in the first place. Now, the mystery of divine sovereignty, the mystery of human responsibility, as I said, can't be solved in this life. Both are in the Bible, both are true, but maybe in eternity we'll understand it. God is the instigator of salvation. But man has got to respond to God's invitation to salvation. And if we don't, we'll be separated from God both through time as well as eternity. Let me say this. I believe it would be safe to say that all three persons of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. As far as God the Father is concerned, we were saved when He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But that alone did not save us. As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, we were saved when he died upon the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago. But that alone did not save us. As far as God the Holy Spirit is concerned, the day conviction came upon our lives. And we said, Jesus, I'm sorry for sinning. I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. That, my friend, is what made the difference. Eternity past came to present and will be rejoiced all throughout eternity future. It takes the Godhead to work in our salvation today. Praise the Lord. We, what began prior to the foundation of the world was fulfilled in the present and will continue for all eternity. The Bible said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That ought to make a Quaker shout. Yeah. 
Look at your neighbor and say, I've been chosen. Look at your neighbor and say, I've been chosen. Now for some of us, that hurt. Let's be real. For some of us, that hurt. By show of hands, who'll be honest with me? Come on, I won't teach online next week. Sure. For some of us, that hurt. You know why? Because we don't feel worthy of it. And you know what? You're not. That's the beauty. You're not worthy of it. I better take this communion cup out before I have juice run down my leg. <laughs> We're not worthy. That's the whole point. It's of His grace. It's of His goodness. It's of His mercy. He has chosen us. Secondly, He's adopted us. Verse 5. Having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Here's another word that often brings division and confusion and debate among Christians. The word is predestination. The word is always used in the context of those who are already born again, of those who are already saved by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. The word is used in the Bible refers to people that are already saved. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that some are predestined to heaven and some are predestined to hell. You will not find that. There is Calvinistic theology says so. Well, Paul the Apostle was neither an Arminius nor was he a Calvinist. Are you with me? Predestination is always in the context of people that are already saved, of people that are already born again. Now the Bible does not teach two predestinations. It teaches one predestination. For all of us who are in Christ Jesus are predestined to have the blessings of God. But there are two destinations. Heaven for those that are saved and hell for those that are not. A life eternal for those that are saved and eternal destruction for those that are not. The word predestined simply means to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. Election seems to refer to people. Whereas predestination refers to the purpose of God's people. Now put that in your Pentecostal pipe and take a drag on it. That'll grease your wagon wheel, church, when you figure that out. The event connected with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was predestinated. Dr. Luke tells us, Who by the mouth of the servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. It was predetermined. It was predetermined. By the same token, God predetermined or he predestined our adoption our conformity to Christ, as well as our future inheritance. He adopted us. Now think about this. Adoption has a dual meaning, both in the present as well as in the future. We get into the family of God not by adoption. We get into the family of God by the new birth. But adoption is an act whereby God gives us born-again, blood-washed children an adult standing in the family. Did y'all get that? <laughs> we are brought into the kingdom of God by being born again, washed the blood. But adoption says once you're born again, you now have an adult standing in the family of God. There are many wills, and when the wills are read in human terms, an individual may have to be 18 
or 21 or 25 before they can begin to draw off of the inheritance. But not so with God. Because we are born again as soon as we are saved, one second of the new birth, we now have an adult standing in the family of God to begin to draw from the wealth that Jesus Christ had laid up for you and me that this testament might be fulfilled, praise God. Lord, some way open up the gray mare of our mind and our hearts and put this in us, Lord, that we know who we are today. I'm talking to me. So why does God do this? Why? So we'll have an adult standing. A child cannot inherit anything from their family. They, they have it, but it's there. They can't have it until they get a certain age. Not so with God. This means that we don't have to wait until we're old saints. Well, one day I can... No. As soon as we're born again, we draw off of the things of God. Paul said to the Galatians, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differ nothing from the servant, though he be Lord of all, but under tutors and governors, under the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit unto the Son, unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, heirs of God through Christ. Don't shout, leave it to me. The future aspect of this adoption in Romans 3, uh, 8, 22, and 23. Note the words. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Right here, right now. Young or old, black or white, red or yellow, or Heinz 57. Male or female, 15 or 55. We stand as adults in the family of God, drawing from the wealth and the blessings and the favor of our God. When Jesus returns, this private adoption will be made public. Everybody will see that we've gone home to be with our Father. I'm telling you something, church. This old world's tough, but he's got a retirement plan that's out of this world. Allow God the Spirit to confirm this to you. We have been chosen by him. We have been adopted by him. And this morning, let me close by saying, he has accepted us. Wow. Accepted. Ex- not, expect, not, 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 not exceptions. Accepted. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now friend, no matter what you do, no matter how you try, you cannot make yourself acceptable before God. You can do penance. You can do good works. By the way, if our good works are filthy rags in the sight of God, what must our sins look like? I thought about that the other day. If our, filth, if our, if our good works are filthy rags in the sight of God, what must our sins look like? Your works, your penance, you're pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps, reading the Bible more, praying more. None of that stuff can appease the living God. But he, by his grace, has made us acceptable by the beloved. This is a position that will never change. One translation says, uh, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The literal translation says, he has begraced us, he hath begraced us 
in the beloved. That is the same. We cannot merit anything from God. We simply accept it. That's hard for us to do. We beat ourselves up too much. Anybody besides me ever do that? We beat ourselves up. We simply accept what he's done for us. Beloved, it's God's grace that we're accepted by him. When the apostle Paul uh, ran into this uh, a man by the name of Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave uh, to Philemon. And the Bible said that Onesimus robbed, uh, robbed his master and he ran away, went to Rome. And while being there, he came in contact with Paul. Paul was in prison. And Paul led him to the saving knowledge of the Lord. And he sent word back to Onesimus for him to, uh, sent back with Onesimus word to Philemon that he was forgiven. I was one time not profitable. I'm now profitable to you. And treat me no longer as a servant or a slave, but as a member of your family. And Paul said, if you count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged you or oweth you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self besides. Many people are living in secret tombs of shame. Many Christians are living in secret tombs of pain and shame. We may have made a financial mistake. We may have had to go bankrupt. We may have gone deeply in debt. We may have more uh, a month than we have money. And we all know if our income is less or outgo or downfalls or upkeep, we all know that. There might be many people that are they're tied up because of some sexual sin they've done, some huge mistake that they've made. Maybe they were sexually abused themselves and they feel the shame of all of that. Many carry that guilt into another relationship. Many carry the extremes. Countless people are crippled by the shame of secret addictions. Some people live false guilt and false lies over things that were done to them. Not so much the things that they themselves done. And shame usually follows a pattern, a cycle, if you will, of self-recrimination and lies that claim us over and over again. First, there is something we experience, some intense pain within our life. And then we believe that lie, that our pain and our failure is who we are. Not just something we did or not just something that was done to us. And we allow what was done to us, and we allow what we did to say that's who we are. And then sometimes, finally, our feelings of shame trap us into thinking that we can never recover from this shame. We can never forgive ourselves for what we've done, and we need to even try because God, He would waste His time even trying. We're not worth it. We're not worthy. And somehow we think by beating ourselves up and condemning ourselves more, it's going to give us peace with God. It does not work that way. When our pain becomes our present identity, when our pain becomes our present identity. Brothers and sisters, we're caught up in that shameful cycle of being in a tomb and being a victim. Like a child who picks at a scab, many people live their lives hurt and go unhealed. I remind you, there's a way out of the shameful tomb. It is not anything that you and I can do for herself, but it's understanding that we have been chosen of him. We have been adopted by him. And we have been accepted by him as well. A man by the name of Peter in the Bible, we know him well. I can identify with him. I preached about him a few weeks ago. Peter had the hood and mouth disease. He kept putting that big foot in his mouth. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Not me, Lord. No, no, not me. I'm going to go all the way. And we've said that week that sometimes the sins that we think are the furthest from us can often be the ones the closest to us, those temptations. But when cock crowed, 
Peter had denied his Lord three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. The man felt shameful. No doubt he felt condemnation. He felt like a failure. Judas was in the same position. Judas did not deny the Lord. He betrayed him. And the same spirit that I believe brought conviction upon Peter was the same spirit that brought conviction upon Judas. But no, Judas don't come to it. He goes out and hangs himself. He kills himself. He drove himself to the grave in despair. And perhaps today burning in hell because of the mistake and the sin he made and couldn't release himself from that shame. But not Peter. Peter did not allow his sin to define who he was. Peter didn't allow his mistake to define his character. Peter didn't allow the shame to hold him back. But he wept bitterly. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he told them, tell, tell my disciples and Peter to meet me. And Peter walks back humbly. But somehow Peter knew, I have been chosen and my sins do not define who I am. I have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm as clean as the blood of Christ can make me. He knew he was standing in an unholy world on a holy foot. And he knew he was adopted. And I believe he understood he had the acceptance that the Lord gave him. His failure transformed him from tragedy to triumph. Because Peter experienced repentance and forgiveness. And it became a character building lesson for him that stood for time and eternity. Now had I been Peter, I don't know if I'd have the audacity to go to the upper room. Had I showed up, as Peter, as they said, tell Peter to meet me in Jerusalem, I'd be walked in, oh God, I'm so sorry. I believe I'd have been so full of guilt and condemnation that I'd said, I'm sorry a jillion times. How many times do we do that? We ask God to forgive us, and he does. And we go back to prayer, oh, God, forgive me. And I think God said, what are you talking about? He don't gloss over it. But when God forgives, he forgives. When God forgives, he forgets. That does not give us a license to keep on sinning. Don't you misunderstand me. What I am saying, if I have been accepted into the beloved, if God accepts me, why can't I accept what he's accepted? We'll offer forgiveness to anybody else except for ourselves. You could kill somebody. I forgive you, but let me do it. Oh, God, are we that way? I'm hoping this will help us today. We're not glossing over sin. What I am saying, there is therefore right here, right now, no condemnation to those people that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Peter, we can break the cycle of shame. We live lives of private defeat, but God wants our hearts and he wants our minds and to send us into the world as lights and as salt to a lost and dying world. Like Peter, we can become convinced of this truth. Namely, we are not our mistakes. We are not our sins. We are not our failures. We are king's kids. And as I said, when God chose you, he knew the idiosyncrasies of your life. He knew the bondage you were in. He knew your perpetual ways. He knew what you liked. He knew everything about your spiritual day. And he loves you anyway. And once you and I give our life to him, no big deal. If you just give me your heart, I can break those bondages. I can break those fears. I can get you out of that tomb of shame and condemnation. You're no match for my power. You're no match for my authority. There's no sin so hideous my blood cannot forgive and forget. There is no stronghold that I cannot break down. There is no demon I cannot destroy. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. 
Don't look to yourself and don't listen to the accusation of man. And for God's sake, don't listen to the accuser of the brethren. You are not your sins. You are the son of the most high God. You're heirs with almighty God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ the Lord. Friends, we have a future because our past is under the blood. We are salvageable and we are saved. We are forgivable and we have been forgiven. We are redeemable and we have been redeemed. And today we're king's children, praise God. Once we accept the unchangeable past, we've got to embrace that God can change our future. And while we'll always remember what happened to us, we need to remember we are not what happened to us. We are not what happened to us. We're the God's now a new creation. Paul said, therefore, inviting Christ, he's the person is a new creature. All things pass away, and behold, all things have become new. When we reject what our shame says about us, when we reject what our shame says about us, when we reject what our condemnation says about us, when we reject what our conscience says about us, when we reject what the devil says about us, we can accept what God says about us. Can somebody say amen? amen? Don't live below your privilege. Don't be bad, bound by your past sins, your past failures, your past embarrassments, and your past struggles, and your past shame. Stand fast in the liberty where Christ beat you down. He didn't say that. Stand fast in the liberty where Christ sets you free. Accept the love of God the Father and the blessings that He's prepared because of His abundant grace, His abundant love, His abundant mercy, and His favor. You've been chosen not to fear, but to have life. You've been adopted so that you can immediately begin to draw from the riches of heaven. And you've been accepted as God's child throughout time and throughout all of eternity. Friends, you are somebody today. And I'm just here to tell you, don't let your past define who you are. Don't let your sin and your mistake define who you are. You're somebody in Jesus Christ the Lord. And can I just say this? If we're holding a grudge against somebody that's committed a hideous sin, and I did this years ago to a young person. I, I just, I don't know why. I was young, but I just seemingly held over their head something that they had done wrong and I just could not get over it. And I thought, dear God, if I want you to forgive me, why can't I forgive them? And the light clicked. We want God to forgive us. And all we'll say, we'll forgive people. But if we're holding them hostage with guilt and shame, free them of that church. It'll free yourself of it. So don't hold people hostage. Thank God yesterday is in the tomb of time. It's buried and it'll be brought up again. Tomorrow's in the womb of time and only God knows it. But today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. This is the day the Lord has made for us. Church, you have been chosen. You have been adopted. Start drawing off the inheritance of God. And you have been accepted. Anybody ever play sports in high school, elementary school, and they're lining up and they choose. Nobody ever chooses you for the team. Boy, don't you just feel wonderful? I'm no good. Nobody likes me. I just go eat worms. But boy, you really felt good if you're the first one chosen. 
Well, I remind you, God has chosen every one of us. Amen. Won't you just take that sword of the Spirit and cram that right into the heart of old Slewfoot? And quit listening to his lies, his accusations, and see that no man rob you of your joy. Nobody rob you of your peace. And for God's sake, don't let your past define who you are today. You're somebody. You're as good as the best and better than all the rest. 